Welcome to Tibet Talks, a podcast series from the International Campaign for Tibet. You are about to hear the recording of a live conversation from November 18, 2021. We hope you enjoy the show. Tashi Delay, and welcome to Tibet Talks. I'm Ashwin Verghese of the International Campaign for Tibet, and it's my pleasure to be your host for today's episode. On this show, we will discuss China's slogans. I'm talking about phrases like common prosperity, ecological civilization, and picking quarrels and stirring up trouble. Those may sound new or even funny to you, but Tibetans have been bombarded with phrases like those every day of their lives over more than 60 years of the Chinese government's brutal occupation of Tibet. Many people understandably dismiss these phrases as mere propaganda, but what do they actually mean? Thankfully, there will soon be a new tool from the Tibetan Center for Human Rights and Democracy that can help us decode China's slogans. It's called Decoding CCP, and it's the subject of today's Tibet Talks. Decoding CCP is a glossary and analysis of slogans from the Communist Party of China. And in this discussion, we'll provide an overview of sloganeering by the Chinese government and its effects on Tibetans and the global community at large. Joining us to do that are two outstanding guests who help put this entire project together and they're joining us all the way from Australia, so we appreciate them being with us today. It's my pleasure to introduce to you now our speakers for today's Tibet, Tibet Talk. Please join me in welcoming veteran Tibet observer Gabriel Lafitte and researcher and translator Tsering Dorji. Gabriel, Tsering La, thank you both and welcome to Tibet Talks. Hi, Ashwani, hi. Hi, Sanila. Hi, Gabriel. Thank you both for being Hi. here. We appreciate you uh, getting up early for us. Ashwin, thank you for the invitation. Now, without further ado, I'd like to bring on our moderator for today's discussion. He is my colleague at the International Campaign for Tibet, ICT's research analyst, Tenzin Norgay. Tenzin La, I will now turn the conversation over to you. Thank you very much, Ashwin. Um, so first of all, let me extend a very warm welcome to our guests. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's very early morning in Australia, uh, about 7 a.m., and uh, despite the very early, uh, early hour, you agreed uh, uh, and accepted our invite to come and talk to our audience. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, you know, it's incredibly uh, challenging to find a very uh, good time spot when you have to take into consideration the 16 hours uh, time difference between the Australian and the U.S. Uh, East Coast. Uh, but anyways, here we are. Um, and for today, uh, because the topic itself is so important, we thought that maybe we can be a little uh, selfish in being the alarm clock for you <laughs> back in Australia. <laughs> so, uh, and welcome to our show. Um, so for many of us may 
recall both Gabriela and Sering Dojala from all the years back in 1999 when the two of you uh, collaborated on a field research in uh, Tulan and uh, Amdo, uh, what is now called, uh, what is called as uh, Qinghai province. So uh, that was a huge project uh, that was way back in 1999, 22 years ago. And uh, in the government of China uh, planned to resettle some 60,000 uh, Chinese settlers into Amdo region and they uh, applied for a loan from the World Bank for the project. But then uh, at a uh, very great personal cost uh, to Gabriela and also to Srinivasa and also uh, to American uh, from uh, Newton, Massachusetts, uh, all three of you have been uh, influential uh, in raising and alerting the world about that project. And uh, eventually, as we all know, the government of China withdrew that uh, applica loan application from the World Bank. So that was pretty long time ago. And uh, fast forward now, 22 years uh, later, we have again here, Gabriela and Seng Dojila collaborating again on a research, a new research project. And um, it's, uh, it's amazing. This research is very much needed and very valuable. So your project is like the, uh, on decoding the Communist Party of China. Uh, it is like uh, need of the hour as China expands its uh, radiance across the international realm and tears the discourse uh, internationally. But before this recent uh, adventure into the international realm, the government of China has been implementing these discourse and shaping up the thoughts in, uh, within uh, the domestic uh, Chinese population. And of course, uh, in Tibet and in, in East Turkestan, the people, uh, Tibetan people and the Uyghurs have, uh, are subjected to all the more sophisticated kinds of uh, uh, propaganda uh, in the society. Uh, so there is a lot uh, that the Tibetans can share with the world as uh, Chinese slogans and all these uh, catchphrases that are doing around internationally right now. Uh, some people find it like uh, very charming. Some just dismiss it as propaganda. But uh, there is something that the Tibetans can definitely share from uh, learning from it, basically dealing with it every day of their life for past uh, 70, year, 70 years. And so with this, we have here today, uh, and in this regard, like we would like first of all um, to ask Gabriela to introduce this project, decoding the CCP. What is it about, and uh, who will benefit from this project, and what is the goal uh, behind this project? Well, thank you, Tintin Nogila. Why do we need to dive deep into what? Uh, as Nogela just said, is usually called propaganda. More politely, as Ashwin said in introducing this session, uh, slogans, they mystify people. As Nogela said, China is seeking international discourse power. Everybody seems to be focused these days on realising that China is in your life, whatever life you lead, uh, not just you know as the maker of what you buy in Walmart, 
but more significantly, China's expanding military power and economic power mean, you know, China has a presence in almost every country, uh, but it feels very strongly that it's presence in the language we use, the way we define reality, the way we imagine what is possible, what is permissible, uh, what is imaginable, uh, their power there needs to rise in a way that is commensurate uh, with that economic, political and military power. Uh, that's a big ask. But China is determined to do it, and the number of people in China dedicated to spreading uh, Xi Jinping thought, spreading the idea of you know this being uh, a new era in which the old rules no longer apply, uh, with the very strong subtext that uh, America and the West generally are in terminal decline. Uh, and, you know, this is the Asian century in which a small number of central leaders in China will, you know, define the reality that is the boundary of what is imaginable. So it's not just, you know, a minor exercise, nor is it, I think, just an exercise uh, for policy wonks, uh, for politicians, for, for governments, for foreign ministries. Uh, I think these days China is moving in simultaneously in so many surprising directions uh, that investors, wealth managers uh, are also finding you know, an urgent need to uh, dive into Chinese slogans and they proliferate. There are hundreds of them and our project uh, was designed to uh, elucidate the inner meanings uh, and above all else, the intentions and motivations behind them. And it would be foolish just to uh, deal with propaganda by issuing counter-propaganda. Uh, that's just an exercise in forcing people to take sides and either you're on my side or you're on the enemy's side. That's not at all fruitful or helpful. Uh, our work has been guided by the Tibetan experience over at least a thousand years of negotiating with China, trying to understand China, uh, having China as a, a, a very big and powerful neighbor that is inclined to see its peripheries as vassal states that of backward tribesmen who just pay tribute to the imperial court. And unfortunately, despite all the rhetoric of a new era, uh, China's rulers today tend to inherit those sorts of uh, imperial arrogant assumptions. Uh, so if you do want uh, a deep, subtle, nuanced, and even subtly humorous take on Chinese uh, key slogans, turn to the Tibetans. Tibetans have had to do this in order to survive. And you know, while we talk about the uh, brutality of the Chinese alien rule in Tibet, Tibetans have nonetheless survived, and Tibetan culture is alive, and the Tibetans have uh, a very uh, subtle, insightful 
uh, reading of all of these slogans, all of which have been translated into Tibetan as well as into English as official versions. Uh, and uh, this decoding CCP project always uses those official translations. So it's not just an exercise in saying, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It gives the user a chance to, first of all, see China's official uh, presentation and representation of itself in various languages. And, you know, this is a, a, a triangulated, trilingual website that will launch uh, in 11 days from now, uh, which we're giving you a little bit of a preview for. Uh, so it gives the user plenty of space to work out for themselves what to make of it, rather than telling you, you know, they're lying, this is the truth. It's not, it's not that simple. Oh, thank you, Gabriela. So indeed, there's a lot that the Tibetans can tell the world about uh, China's discourse. And as you have just mentioned, uh, very well mentioned, you know, we, we have been living side by side for centuries, for thousands of years. So it's been a constant negotiation throughout these centuries. Um, uh, in the year of the People's Republic of China uh, now, and in the recent years, since now China has started to move uh, more forcefully, should I say, uh, in the international realm, there's like a lot of people do not really understand or are clueless how to go about it, how to deal with the uh, government of China. And, and I've noticed that, you know, uh, there's been a proliferation of uh, dictionaries of, uh, of uh, the Chinese slogans. Uh, over here, I want to mention uh, that excellent dictionary published by Marlene Oud of uh, the Raoul Allenbach uh, Institute and uh, Dunhausen from the Merricks, uh, their project titled as uh, Decoding China. Uh, it's an excellent resource. Uh, basically covers uh, how to interpret Chinese slogans in the international relations and international development coordination. So the decoding CCP project, uh, which uh, Gabriel Layu and Itzring Dojilayu have been working on, at first, my impression was it's like a dictionary. It's like a glossary of terms. But I, I read that, you know, the, uh, the way that the Center for Human Rights and Democracy sees it is it's more in terms of a thesaurus. Uh, so could you elaborate on that, like uh, how the two projects complement each other and how, uh, you know, what is different about this uh, decoding CCP project that the Tibetans have to offer? Okay. What, what's, what's different about it is that uh, this is more comprehensive, it's more up-to-date, uh, but I think it's also more spacious in its attitude. Uh, I mean, an, another organization that recently did something, you know, a little bit similar is Amnesty International. And they call their website What China Says. And the very name of the website, I think, implies we're going to tell you what China does as against what China says. So that's a binary. It's either or. I think what we need for the long term is something that on the one hand 
uh, is up to date and stays up to date, but also gives the user room to understand the resonances in Chinese history and Chinese culture, which the uh, current central leaders uh, come back to to validate uh, their policies uh, and also the unconscious biases that they uh, inherit uh, from the ancestors that they venerate. So the whole project, I think, needs a bit more depth. Uh, so a th thesaurus, as against a glossary, a thesaurus gives you, you know, a wide range of similar concepts. Uh, and, you know, you pick, you choose, you decide which ones are actually the most appropriate. Uh, now, there are many, many scholars who uh, have produced over the years sort of dictionaries of uh, China Newspeak, as uh, Professor Jeremy Varme calls it, uh, you know, which in turn is borrowed, of course, from George Orwell's Newspeak in uh, 1984. And, and yet there aren't actually that many that are really current uh, and that sort of strike that sort of middle ground between a, a, an in-depth academic essay that plunges you for, you know, an entire chapter into uh, all of the historic resonances uh, as against something that just takes a simple political stance. So we're, we're somewhere in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to remind our audience that there are uh, excellent resources out there. I just want to mention, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Decoding China. It's the actual website is decodingchina.eu, as in uh, European Union. And then, of course, there's also another project from the China Media Project. And now we have uh, the Tibetan perspective of decoding CCP. So all these resources are excellent tools for people who deal with China in their daily life, bankers, investors, researchers, analysts, government employees, you name it. So these are excellent resources. So please do take a look at all these resources uh, when trying to understand China. Uh, so for the next question, I will turn to Singh Dojala. Um, you have lived experience in Tibet and the Tibetans in Tibet, that's the only slogans that they hear all the time, all the day, like um, in their home, during the inspections, uh, and now also like increasingly visually everywhere on the print media, online media, uh, billboards, neighborhood walls, on the rocks, big and small. So it's everywhere, uh, these slogans. How do the Tibetans inside Tibet react to, to these uh, slogans? What What is their thinking about these slogans? Uh, I'm not sure uh, how the, the, uh, all the Tibetans... Uh individually respond uh, the Chinese slogans. So in general, uh, as my own experience and also the yeah people I uh, lived uh, around me in Tibet. And so I just want to introduce a small, uh, very interesting uh, story. Uh, just a small uh, short story and an example. Uh, when the Communist Party uh, flooded uh, slogans and uh, campaigns, so revolutional uh, struggling uh, campaigns, so there was there's uh, at that time people Tibetan are lost in the slogans and the campaigns, which is uh, came 
from alien, like uh, they never known, they lived uh, peacefully, but suddenly took up by a uh, dictatorship and a uh, communist, Chinese communist. Then uh, one lady said, when very old lady, she was very innocent, and uh, yeah, so she's, she lived, lived uh, in a peaceful life. Suddenly, uh, communist uh, appeared, the communist of, yeah, uh, PL, uh, PLA, and everything changed upside down. Upside down. <laughs> one struggle, one slogan after another. Then the lady, one day, the first they said, we are going to, uh, socialist, uh, Chinese, uh, yeah, the socialism, they are going to start a socialism, and they campaigned, uh, everything, yeah. But then this, they are going to, where they are going, now China is going, was going to communist, yeah, region. Then the lady said, oh, we have gone, we had gone so far, we have, now we have gone to, on uh, socialism. Now we are going to we are going to communist uh, communism. Uh, how can I go there? I don't even even have a new boot to go to communism. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the so you see that's the emptiness of the slogans behind it. Yeah, the pre-designed uh, political struggles. So Sama is very innocent and uh, very, yeah, they, those uh, Tibetans, they don't know how to cope with it. But uh, many of them just uh, follow because uh, they have to survive. <laughs> so they just uh, shout along the Communist Party. They don't know the meaning. And some are very wise and uh, very uh, uh, smart uh, Tibetans. They try to seek why use that negative uh, those negative slogans take an opportunity and uh, save themselves not only uh, for individual lives and uh, individual yeah daily living uh, or feed their belly but uh, who tibetan culture who tibetan future and the population so there are great people uh, there and try to guide Tibetans and uh, lead the Tibetans, even though in that uh, overwhelming, so not uh, yeah, so helpless uh, situation. They respond, they then read, decode why Communist Party say that. What's behind? What is for us? What it will impact for us? Then they respond. Mm -hmm. Then the yeah, try the ma uh, maximum uh, possibility and uh, wisdom to use it a positive way. Yeah, that's the yeah general. <clears throat> okay, I think Lula, thank you very much for sharing that story about the lady. Uh, I can totally empathize with her <laughs> dilemma. Uh, as a professional researcher, um, I come across uh, that's my job to to read through uh, Chinese media and Chinese leaders' speeches. And I struggle with all these catchphrases that are in there. In a particular speech, I can come across anywhere between at least 10 or 15 catchphrases. Eight this, two that, don't do that, five of these, don't do that. There are so many of these catchphrases and I can totally, totally advertise with the lady uh, getting so confused uh, with all these uh, directions or should we say guidance being given by the, the party leaders. Um, 
Now, I, I want to also uh, ask you, uh, you know, the Communist Party has, in a way, to make it palatable, to make it um, attractive to the Tibetans. They've also been co-opting a lot of uh, Tibetan Buddhist concepts like um, enlightenment and uh, liberation into these uh, party slogans, right? Uh, uh, we have now uh, this so-called um, peaceful liberation of Tibet. And very recently, just about a couple of months ago, there was a very grand 70th commemoration of the peaceful liberation of Tibet. And, you know, uh, the liberation uh, in that phrase, how is it co-opted by the, by the uh, Communist Party and how is it presented to the Tibetans? So the Tibetans uh, lived as a peaceful, religious, and uh, mostly they respect the lives and uh, also, the uh, the care not only the care of the uh, themselves and the next generation. So life cycle, enlightenment. So this is uh, Tibetans how they live. They don't want to hurt uh, people. But the communist uh, slogans, they are political ideology, totally incompatible with this. But they have to cope with that. So at the beginning of the uh, the in 1950s. Uh, in order to, as the Communist Party say, the United Front, try to convert uh, some Tibetans activities, uh, yeah, Tibetans extremists, even yeah, after they force them to do something, they haven't had no choice, then they have to, yeah, uh, live with this uh, giant uh, enemy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they tried, they organized, yeah, organized uh, some uh, translation uh, teams for the propagandas, and then they uh, had to use uh, words, those foreign words, maybe from the communist Russia. So very new. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. It's not featured in uh, geographically or in the uh, culturally. So they have to use the words. Then you say, as you say, the liberation. Eh? Mm -hmm. So it's a good name. Yeah, so in, in Tibetan, say, Jing uh, Jing means uh, binded by the defiles, five defiles, and uh, then uh, liberated. You become Buddha or Buddhahood. Then Jing, uh, so that means uh, they use it, Jing means uh, in the past, Tibetans are uh, not liberated. Somebody controlled and uh, they are in the dark and uh, suffering. Then Communist Party, the PLA came and liberated them, so they are free. <clears throat> Is it true? Yeah. So they use these words. They mm -hmm. are very flexible to use this and uh, convert into their own language and uh, let the people accept accept it easily. Uh, they come. Uh, yeah. They have very very yeah, skillful to uh, check. How the Tibetans think? How, what is the Tibetans' ideology? And then they create their own. So that makes them easy to understand. Mm -hmm. So they like, for example, uh, peace, Shide, Shiva. Mm -hmm. There's a Chinese, uh, yeah, the Communist Party. They understand it by their own, uh, their discourse, and then they also absorb some words from Tibetans' daily use or. Yeah, in a Buddhism, like Jingdu and Shiva, and uh, yeah, so some uh, so many other words, and both sides accept it. 
Yeah, then China wins. The, mm -hmm. We liberate you. We liberate you, yeah. And from your own, yeah, those are uh, all the region. So that's, that's yeah, those, so uh, mm -hmm. Tibetan words, original Tibetan words used as a uh, Chinese jargon, yeah, mm -hmm. Communist Party jargon, then easily convert and uh, brainwash. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, I, yeah, just uh, because you also mentioned about the term peace. Uh, well, uh, the government of China uses these terms very freely, peace, um, human rights, uh, rule of law, all these concepts that, you know, uh, have a very, very different meaning when it comes to the Chinese context. So unfortunately, many people just hear it and uh, read it like intuitionally for especially people living in the liberal democracies but i just want to um remind that you know it is it has a totally different meaning um uh when it comes to chinese context and uh, talking about uh co-opting the buddhist um ideas and concepts into the communist slogans i also in, when it comes to international relations we uh, the government of China all had uh, co-opted the Buddhist concept of uh, the five principles, right? The Chinese have early in the um, establishment of the People's Republic of China, there was this thing called the five principles of coexistence, which was called Pan Shil. Pan Shil um, is a, a Buddhist concept uh, uh, of five principles of not lying, uh, not killing, not... Um, uh, conducting any sexual misconduct or intoxicating to cloud your mind and so forth. It's all Buddhist values. And then that they converted, uh, co-opted that into uh, international relations term of five principles of coexistence. But then uh, it's history. And that uh, uh, framework didn't really work well. And um, so now we are here um, at a very different uh, stage in China. So now um, talking about the current decoding CCP project, there are like... Um, hundreds of terms that you have analyzed and covered in this project. And I want to just go through uh, some of these uh, 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 according to the time that we have right now. So Gabriel, I would turn towards you and um, ask you about, because you have been an environmentalist for such a long time. And you know, so the current buzzword that comes up again and again uh, in the recent uh, weeks, especially in the just concluded uh, COP26 um, uh, climate conference, this phrase, ecological civilization, it's something, sounds very nice though, uh, it's very catchy, but what does it actually mean? And um, I just want to read an excerpt uh, from um, the Xinhua, the Chinese state media, a very sh a short uh, excerpt which reads something like this, that you know, the China proposed philosophy of ecological civilization has gained recognition from the international community as the Kumin Declaration was adopted at the key UN Environment Conference COP15. The philosophy put forward in 2018 comprised several principles including ensuring harmony between humans and nature and regarding a sound ecological environment as the most inclusive advantage to people's well-being. Well, that sounds very, very nice. But on the actual reality, in the actual reality, it doesn't really apply to me, at least, from what I uh, research about. So, Gabriel, from your environmentalist perspective, could you explain to us what does this term mean, ecological civilization? 
Thank you, Nogela. Yes, it's a real puzzle. In English, I think we don't normally put ecology and civilization in one package. Uh, we have maybe inherited from the scientific ecologists an assumption that an ecosystem is something that functions by itself best without human interference. But for China, ecological civilization must be constructed. And the construction of ecological civilization, which is a standard phrase, in turn requires an arduous struggle. And again, I'm deliberately using the terminology that is used all the time. And in order to wage an arduous struggle to construct ecological civilization, you need in charge of such a project the only people with the capability, the resolve, the will, the capacity for mastery of everything in nature, uh, namely the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so we have a paradox here. We have wonderful language of living, you know, in harmony, harmony between man and nature, and that is again, although that's sexist, it is the standard Chinese translation. Man and nature uh, somehow need constant management, and at the same time, in order to preserve ecosystems to build ecological civilization the way it works out in practice on the ground is that human beings largely need to be excluded from areas that are held to be degraded uh, and for which those primitive backward ignorant tibetan nomads are blamed and that in turn really means that China has come up with yet another justification for actually depopulating the Tibetan highlands uh, and moving large numbers of people who are simply classified officially as you know, surplus rural labor, as if they're sort of a rural proletariat who are just sort of wandering around aimlessly like, like animals and herding them off into uh, the urban workforce to construct uh, new China, new cities. So we, we have a real paradox here. It all comes back to, again, those imperial assumptions that China knows best, China is benevolent, China is the older brother. I'm deliberately throwing as many Chinese phrases uh, as I can in. Uh, the Tibetans are, you know, weak, passive, dependent, living in the past, remote, backward. They are in urgent need of a blood transfusion. And only modern China with its strength can provide that blood transfusion to bring the Tibetans into history. And that in turn, I think, you know, brings us actually very close to some of China's most uh, recent uh, slogans to do with you know building discourse power and presenting itself as a world leader in uh, ecological civilization and it's very significant uh, in the article that you just quoted Nogela China is claiming that you know 
COP26, the climate COP, and a few weeks earlier, uh, COP15, the biodiversity COP, all adopted China's key phrases. And some of those phrases were included in the official resolutions. They didn't really sort of stand out, but China uses those to claim leadership uh, and gradually shift the balance and shift the discourse so that it becomes a, a, a new normal. And that is actually problematic because one of the other current slogans is that the Chinese Communist Party has just a week or so ago passed a, a long document called a resolution on the history of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, that you know, resolution firmly declares that you know, in the 100 years of its existence, the Chinese Communist Party has never made mistakes. Uh, it has always benefited China. Uh, and to critique, to use critical thinking, which is, you know, the essence of democracy, uh, to use critical thinking to suggest that the party has ever made mistakes is a serious crime and you can be put in jail for years. Now, where does that leave the Tibetans? If the Tibetans want to say, well, actually, yes, there is degradation on the grasslands. There are areas where there used to be grass, where there is now bare soil. Tibetans would love to have the opportunity to sow native grasses and look after them and nurture them through the difficult winters, but instead they're removed. But if Tibetans say, well, actually the reason for degradation is past policy failures coming from central leaders imposing their will from above because they had this fixation that, you know, we are the masters of the universe, we have scientific knowledge, we know how to do development. You ignorant backward people don't really know the land that you live on and your ancestors have lived on for so many centuries. But Tibetans can't say that because that will mean that they are guilty of the very serious crime of historical nihilism. Now, if you look up US statutes, I think you won't find historical nihilism amongst the many crimes. But in China, it is. Historical nihilism uh, is the crime of saying the Communist Party rule has made mistakes. There have been policy failures. Well, which regime is so brittle that it cannot concede that, you know, in, in 100 years it has made mistakes? So that's an example of, you know, why a whole wide range of people, I think, you know, do need to take a look at uh, Communist Party jargon, mm -hmm. and who better than the Tibetans to uh, enable that? Uh, if you think back 20 years ago when the United States discovered it was in a war against terror, uh, it suddenly needed quite urgently to recruit people who had had a long experience with uh, Islamic extremism. Uh, and it's really striking the number of uh, terrorism experts in all of the think tanks and, and policy advice institutions and so on who come from India. India uh, has, I think, provided the world with you know, a very high proportion of experts on, on Islamic terror. 
and I would say that you know we are now in a similar situation where the uh, the world, all sorts of people need to discover how to read the Chinese slogans, and the Tibetans can really help. <clears throat> indeed, Gavila, indeed. Um, uh, you just talked, uh, touched a bit about the sixth plenum uh, resolution. I'll come back to you about that. But before that, I want to ask also, uh, staying on the topic, I want to ask Sring Dojila uh, about this Marxist dialectics uh, about contradiction between grasses and animals. Uh, so this is, uh, and under this slogan, the grasslands are depopulated and uh, the Tibetan herders have been now moved from their traditional pastures into some some weird ghetto-ish kind of a town uh, uh, built instantly to accommodate them into town fringes. So we are literally talking about several thousands, possibly crossing into a few millions. So Srinivasala, as someone who has lived in Tibet, who have done field research in Tibet, and who is now also doing research uh, from your home base now in Australia, uh, could you explain to us or tell us about the situation of the Tibetan herders? What is going on uh, about uh, about their lives? So what is their current status? Uh, so yeah, this is all when I see or hear this term contradiction between grass and animals, instantly the herders come to, to my mind. So uh, would you be able to elaborate on that, please? Yeah, I can't, uh, can't uh, present the no, uh, Tibetan nomads or the herders, uh, but uh, my own uh, knowledge, uh, uh, based on my knowledge and uh, the experience I lived uh, in uh, Tibet and uh, lived at the nomadic area as a teacher and uh, yeah through the students and the nomads yeah so the China the Communist Party not only uh, the Chi Communist Party their scientists and environmentalists and ecologists those scientists so very arrogant as uh, Gabriel always uh, says yeah so the imperialist uh, arrogance so they think their brothers, their saviors, yeah. So the way you live is a uh, no. It's not a uh, fit, uh, uh, not good, beneficial for the ecology. That's a. Uh, but long time ago, they deforested. Uh, yeah, the the seed nature. We must use this nature. Even the human nature have to use for serve for the revolution purpose. <clears throat> yeah building a communist utopia mm -hmm. and we need to use the natural resource so collectivized uh, Tibetan uh, traditional nomads the government uh, instructed the scientists they control the number the, the number of the animals and the people are collectivized the commune system right mm -hmm. then they overgrazed mm -hmm. they, they disturbed the, the very uh, ecological, the human and uh, the ecology balance, the which uh, Tibetan culture, Tibetan way of uh, Tibetan living, and uh, yeah, these especially the religious. So they see the nature uh, as a gift uh, from their own karma, from previous karma. We say Jintun mm. Sunam, the collective mm. uh, karma. Mm -hmm. so we have to respect the land, respect the animals. Even we see, we kill the animal, we feel guilt. Sorry, we have mm -hmm. we eat it, but we pray and we mm -hmm. 
as much as we pray and uh, we feel guilt, repent every time we pray. So that's we respect life. But Communist Party says, the scientists say, you're wasting. Yeah, these animals, you have to sell. You, better, you increase your bank account and convert it into cash. So it's a total different uh, idea, different ideology. So atheism and uh, Tibetans. So then they intervened Tibetan way of life. Then the series of uh, yeah destructions uh, caused by the policy makings and the scientists caused Tibetan still happening. So they have no Tibetan nomads have no say, have no choice. <laughs> if they say protest. Uh, yeah, we, we have heard protests, people get get arrested, detained, sentenced. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what they are. So the best, uh, the most of common uh, Tibetan herds keep silent. No way. Uh, no, have, mm -hmm. We can do nothing. Mm -hmm. they, uh, so, so many things. So if you read uh, the Gabriela's Rukor, uh, the uh, blog, so many things uh, there. I can't say uh, <coughs> Or there. So anyway, in general, so they, they have no choice. Mm -hmm. They don't mm -hmm. expect the environment, the traditional, and the, uh, most than uh, the uh, real ecologists are Tibetans. Uh, yeah, their culture and the combination of culture and the uh, ecology. So that mm -hmm. saves. We don't exploit the Tibetans, the nomads don't exploit the nature and the mm -hmm. pastures, animals. They mm -hmm. just live and respect the life. Mm -hmm. So now they are facing really difficult. So materializing lies, mm -hmm. push them materialization, and uh, very difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, regarding the nomads, like. Uh... In the past, it has been like um, they have been asked to increase their uh, meat productivity by the central planners, and then suddenly, in order to uh, when there's like uh, flooding in uh, mainland China, they are now blamed for those flooding, and then and the Chinese have come to uh, impose this slogan of contradiction between the grass and the animals, and then they are all depopulated from the grasslands into these ghettoish towns. And they just uh, are put there on some sort of uh, meager government subsidy, uh, so they cannot move forward in life because they are not trained to participate in the Chinese economy, and that they cannot move back to their traditional life. So they are stuck in the middle. So that's a, a very, very sad situation for them. And when I see or hear about this slogan about the contradiction between grass and animals. What I really think is, when it comes to China's um, carbon emissions, is there's a contradiction between Chinese factories and ozone layer. So that is the real contradiction. But instead of recognizing the real contradiction, uh, the contradiction is in a way deflected upon the nomads. So, and that's the um, story state of affairs that, that is uh, on the Tibetan plateau uh, these days. So I believe I have a lot of more such terms that I wanted to ask, but obviously uh, time does not permit. But I would uh, definitely uh, urge our listeners in the audience that uh, do take a look at uh, the fantastic book uh, done by Gabriela and uh, Tseng Dojala. Uh, and I believe the, uh, it's going to be, uh, be, the project is going to be live uh, next week. And it is, uh, 
it is a living project as China throws in more slogans. Uh, it's going to be more work for the two of U.S. researchers to again analyze and uh, present it to the uh, people. But it is definitely very, very valuable and helpful. Um, uh, just, just to remind the website to our audience, it is decodingccp.org. Uh, so do take a chance to uh, look at it and take advantage of the expertise uh, uh, these two researchers have. Uh, lots of years of experience. Gabriel, you have like 40 plus years of experience, um, and Dr. Uh, also at least 25 plus years. So that's a lot of experience out there. And uh, to conclude, um, if our audience are not able to follow through all of what we discussed right now, I do not really blame because these slogans are very, very <laughs> tricky to understand. But uh, I would, uh, if uh, they can, as, a, as their takeaway, if uh, they take away that, you know, when they hear a Chinese slogan, uh, if it strikes their mind that what it seems and what it is are two different things, then I think uh, we have served uh, the purpose for today. Thank you very much, Gabriel, and thank you very much, uh, Singh Dojala, and back to you, Ashwin. Yes, thank you, Nogay, and yes, thank you very much, Gabriel and uh, Singh. That was very interesting and uh, illuminating conversation for all of us, and uh, so we really appreciate your time being here on Tibet Talks today. Uh, we are having some folks in the audience uh, want to learn a little bit more about how they can access decoding CCP, and I know Norgay talked a little bit about the URL. Uh, could you guys talk a little bit about um, when you expect this to be live and where people can find it and, and how they can kind of best make use of it? Gabriel, do you? Uh, launch, launch date is actually uh, 30 November. Uh, that's when the, the, the site goes live. And it is trilingual. If your starting point is something you've heard, to use Nogue's example, a contradiction between grass and animals, a classic sort of Marxist dialectic formulation, which may not be a, a formulation familiar to a lot of people these days, you can start off in English. If you, if you can read some Chinese, you can start off in Chinese. But also importantly, most of the terms and in coming months, nearly all the terms will also be available <coughs> with a Tibetan take uh, on it. So it's fluid, it's flexible, and I really can't stress enough, we're not trying to tell people what to think. We're just giving you enough information to make up your own mind. And I'm really glad that Noge mentioned some of the other glossaries that do exist because there is a lot out there. Uh, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. There is a, a massive Sinology industry, the number of people who are earnestly trying to discern the motives and intentions behind the very attractive phrases that the Chinese Communist Party uses is growing all the time. Uh, and yet there's still a great deal of confusion as to, you know, how to make sense of all of this. So we really do think that the Tibetan angle, given that you know the latest archaeology shows that uh, Tibetans have lived in Tibet for you know anything up to fifty thousand years, uh, and share genetics 
with early humans who developed the ability to live at extremely high altitudes in ways that uh, Chinese still struggle with. Uh, so how did Tibetans manage to live for 50,000 years in Tibet? How did they survive the, the last ice age? Uh, you know, they must have known something about the land and something about what the land's limits are and capabilities are. And to just sweep that all aside with a simplistic Marxist dialectic that there is a contradiction between grass and animals. You can have grass or you can have animals. You can't have both. That's basically what it's saying. Well, the logic of nomadism is if you're intelligent and, and careful and mobile, you can have both. So please do, uh, when the site launches on the 30th of November, please do have a look. Thank you. It, it's a really fascinating subject. Everything you touched on there uh, certainly sparks my interest. Uh, we could talk about this for hours. Fortunately, we are running out of time. But I do want to ask one final question here before we go. Uh, maybe, Saring, I will direct this to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process of how long it took to actually put this decoding CCP project together? And then what do you see as the future for this tool? Or is this something that you expect to constantly be updating with as new information and new slogans are used? Um, where do you see this kind of going in the future? Yeah, this is a, an, uh, an ongoing uh, project. And also uh, the Communist Party, uh, they create uh, new jargons. They want to stop and uh, continues. So we hope, yeah, the project will uh, provide uh, some uh, key and uh, popular uh, jargons uh, decoded and uh, present to the audience. And uh, the main, uh, yeah, the most importantly, the audience, if they give uh, feedback and, uh, uh, yeah, so they, they give uh, feedback, we can improve and, uh, yeah, as much as we can. So this is our uh, an ongoing project. So it's a uh, yes, uh, de developing launch. It doesn't mean it's uh, finished there. Yeah. So the we uh, the audience uh, feedbacks are valuable. Yeah. And just one last time for audience, the URL for the project. Uh, dec uh, decoding uh, CCP uh, dot org. And we certainly encourage all of you who are watching this to please check that out once it is uh, ready to go at the end of the month. And uh, once again, we want to extend our, our heartfelt gratitude to, uh, to both Gabriel and Saring for joining us today on Tibet Talks and for sharing this uh, very, very valuable information with all of us. So thank you both so much. Thank you, Norgila, for leading us through this conversation and then moderating this discussion. Uh, we are just about out of time here on Tibet Talks, but uh, we will be back next month on December 9th with another episode of Tibet Talks featuring Rima Fujita, who is a fine artist and the author of The Extraordinary Life of His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, An Illuminated Journey. So we hope you will all join us for that. Uh, until next time, happy holidays to you all. And as we always say, stay safe, stay well, and stay active. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tibet Talks. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Learn more at savetibet.org slash pod. To find out how you can get involved in our efforts to promote human rights and democratic freedoms for the people of Tibet, please visit savetibet.org slash support. 
Thank you and see you next time on Tibet Talks.